you for that. Uh, so good afternoon. My name is Doug Fountain, and I am a uh, uh, right now a consultant working in global health and higher education. I just returned at the end of last year from eight and a half years working in Uganda at Uganda Christian University, where uh, I'll be drawing some information from. I'll say something more about that in a moment. All told, I've been working in, in global health and higher education for 23 some odd years uh, and still counting, so uh, enjoying it a lot. Uh, I have a great passion, which you're going to hear a little bit about today, which is uh, that higher education is one key way to strengthen the indigenous development of health professionals. Uh, so uh, we're not talking here specifically about training people, uh, bringing people to the U.S. to train, though that might be a component of some of these programs. We're talking about how do we strengthen and partner with institutions that happen to be overseas, particularly Christian institutions. Uh, so that's what we're going to, to talk about. And to summarize, if you want the 10-second version of this, uh, I'll give it to you now if you promise not to run away. Okay? Uh, so human resources and health, it, um, is it the limiting factor? It may be one of the most important limiting factors in global health, and it's an issue of quantity and quality. We think that there are uh, excellent indigenous training for Christian health professionals, and it is one sure way to improve health services is to strengthen those institutions. Uh, that includes local schools, colleges, and universities that train the entire continuum of health workers from community-based all the way up through specialty uh, health professionals. But there are, are major challenges affecting how that's done. There aren't enough of those training institutions. The quality is uneven, and many local professionals may not have fully considered how being a Christian health professional uh, is unique and special. And those are some areas where I think linking missions will have an important role in advancing uh, global health uh, through higher education. So this session we're going to talk about promoting development of robust, high-quality Christian training centers for health professionals through partnerships with a network of Christian health professionals. And we're using a case study uh, from Uganda Christian University, uh, which is located in Mukono, Uganda. I'll say something again about that in a moment. Uh, the objectives are to describe how new universities and Christian universities in developing countries contribute to the formation of Christian health professionals and then identify strategies that can be used to strengthen the quality of these universities through international partnerships and mission engagements. Uh, friends, my, my style is... I prefer to be interact, uh, interactive and, and um, uh, interrupted from time to time. The slides for this are available online. If you log on to the, to the, the session website, you can download the entire thing. So uh, I say that also if you promise not to run away right now. But uh, if that means that I have to skip over some information, then I'll be happy to, to do that. And... Um, I see my, my, uh, my right-hand uh, uh, helper back here. Uh, I'm going to take just one moment while I, while I saw her get up to ask for her to distribute something. This is a quick side promotional thing. Uh, the Christian Journal for Global Health uh, is something that is, uh, I'd like you all to get a copy of a brochure, pass by the table if you'd like to later. That's not related to this uh, presentation necessarily, but uh, it is a new resource to help promote the uh, production and dissemination of scholarly, reflective uh, work in Christian global health worldwide. Uh, so now back to what we're here to do. 
our case study, you got to Christian University. <clears throat> How many of you in this room have been to Mokono, Uganda, and visited Uganda Christian University? Okay. And how many, I uh, know, it's not just you. One, two, I see Grace. Anybody else? So, uh, there's somebody back here who I, who I don't recognize. When, when were you there, and, and what's your name? Yes. Oh, wonderful. Okay, great. Well, we'll talk about Gene Chamberlain's work as part of this as well. Great. Uh, so this university was established in 1913 as a theological college promoted to a university in 1997. It now has 12,000 students across five campuses nationwide in Uganda. I love the old picture from the Theological College in 1930, but you see now where the campuses are. And it draws students from 14 countries around Eastern and Central uh, Africa. My role from 20, uh, I was there from 2004 to 2012, was to establish the Department of Health Sciences, and then move on from, I moved on from that to be the Director of Planning, and finally uh, what they call Deputy Vice Chancellor, which is Vice President for Development. And I've been back in the U.S. for, for a year. While I was there, uh, I was helpful and maybe, maybe helpful, uh, Ruby will have to say something about that, in helping launch the, the nursing programs and public health and health administration programs. Uh, so I will refer uh, on occasion to these programs. But to give you a sense, uh, we, you know, the, the place has really grown quite fantastically with a new library, new science labs, uh, some pretty uh, interesting programs. The problem, what are we here to talk about? First off, there are these gaps in supply of health workers which undermine the health systems. Whoa. Okay, that's a good idea. Can everybody see the screen clearly? Are you okay? Okay, am I transparent enough for, for everybody here? Great. Uh, so many countries in the world face these severe uh, health service workforce shortages. In fact, 57 countries fall below just using one indicator uh, of uh, the number of people necessary for safe deliveries of babies, 57 countries far uh, fall far below the number of medical doctors, nurses, and midwives needed to assure safe deliveries for women in need. And the impact is felt in communities where it's estimated uh, that these, uh, you know, of course, 4% of the population is pregnant and 15% would be expected to have uh, complication. If you think about the, the magnitude of some of those things and the shortage of, of qualified health professionals, it makes it very clear this is not something that can just be addressed by sending waves of short-term missions. It's not something that can be addressed by, uh, you know, uh, hoping that the systems come around. It's something that's going to take active investment in developing health, uh, health, work for, health worker uh, and workforce resources. There's a need for training of millions, in fact, of those health workers, depending on which economic study you want to, to pay attention to. So I'm interested in the strategic response to that. How is it that we're going to deal with that? And so the first question, I just made a statement a moment ago, what is the long-term benefit of a global short-term strategy? Short-term missions is a short-term solution to a long-term problem. Will we be sending teams you know, year after year to places for 90 years from now, and, and can you imagine what would it be like if somebody said to somebody in the community, oh, my great-grandfather used to come here to help you uh, 90 years ago, and now I'm just continuing in his footsteps. Is that what somebody in the community wants to hear? I don't think so. I think at some point the community wants to own its, uh, its own health system and, and its response to its challenges. And so 
how are we going to do that? And there are some long-term strategies. Uh, I'm really inspired by the community health uh, development work, uh, such as the CHE program, which you can go find out more about down, downstairs. But I'm really uh, interested in scaling up this indigenous uh, capacity to train qualified leaders. Higher education, let me say something about that. Local universities are a starting point. There are thousands of these universities. Often we think, coming from the U.S., that maybe there aren't many universities. And, and maybe there are institutions, but maybe we don't know much about their quality. There are thousands of these. They do understand the continuum of education. They are supplying top leadership and setting the tone for organizations, government, and civil society in most of these countries that, that we uh, seek to work in. They are increasingly internationally connected. They have regional catchment areas. They're not just internal or domestic. For instance, Uganda uh, would, would receive people from all over East Africa and, and Central Africa into its institutions. And you see mobility just among the institutions uh, in different countries in Africa, as an example. And they have quality, high quality in many cases, and very affordable programs, business, social work, health, law, education. I say all this to make sure that we're all working from the same platform, that there are institutions there. I'm surprised sometimes when people say, you know, rural Africa, you mean they're universities? You know, they think of the huts and, and grasslands. And yeah, there are huts and grasslands, but there's also these great institutions. And they are producing people who are taking serious uh, roles in leadership. In fact, we did uh, uh, a, a small look at this in terms of the, the number of universities that are, that are growing uh, or, or uh, being put in place. The number of universities just in Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, and Nigeria grew in, from 2013 through, or from 20, 2003 to 2013, grew from 100 to 250. Just in 10 years, think about that. The number of universities grew from 100 to 250, just in four countries. Imagine what that would look like in Kentucky, in Wisconsin, in California, if you had a two-and-a-half-fold increase in the number of universities. That's what's happening in many of these countries. These places are exploding. Christian universities among them. They are among the fastest-growing sector of higher education. The International Association, this is a great acronym, International Association for Promotion of Christian Higher Education, IAPSHI, uh, is uh, a, a good resource for this. They are documenting now that there is over 580 such universities in developing countries, not just theological colleges, robust universities. Many I say some, many are training health professionals. Uh, if you're interested in learning about that, I can talk to you afterwards. I, I have a small uh, grant that's starting up next year to study and benchmark what's actually happening in health training in Christian universities in developing countries. So that's a, a, an area. And one of the common questions that I often get is, but aren't universities for the elite and the privileged? Yeah, sometimes, I'll skip to the bottom, sometimes privileged students do access better secondary schools. They have more ability to pay. It's not uncommon to find elites getting in. But does that make them 
less important as health professionals. There's still nurses, public health specialists, physicians, many other health professionals. And then also the other answer is not always. Many of the people that come to universities come from very difficult backgrounds. We had many students who came to UCU uh, from IDP camps or urban slums, or they were the children of a subsistence farmer who literally sold the last cow in the family in order to pay tuition to send their child to, to school. These people have got this idea that they want to, to return value in their communities. They want to do something transformative in their communities. And they're hoping that the university education will position them to do that. It's a very exciting time with all of this growth. Um, by the way, when I show pictures, these are mostly from Uganda Christian University. Um, sitting in the front here, we'll talk about our nursing program that we had there. Uh, Ruby Dunlap was one of our visiting uh, professors on uh, several occasions to, to UCU. Uh, and I did look, knowing that she was going to be around. I looked hard for pictures of her, but I couldn't find any. So there's no sneaky pictures of her. I also don't have Grace or anybody else uh, uh, in here. So <clears throat> Now, let's talk also for a moment about the Christian value added. And, and this is all leading up to what is it that we can do in missions to try to strengthen these universities. And part of what I'm interested in, and we had a, I had a session this morning on frontline health workers, part of what I'm interested in is seeing how the training that we provide can help build Christian professional identity. We all aspire in our respective professions or workplaces to have a Christian ethos, or at least I hope we do. I encourage you to think about what does it mean to be a Christian working in your profession? What is unique or distinct about that? And certainly we see the Christians, you know, they, they might be more willing to share their time and resources to help the needy. Christian health professionals often strive for standards such as respect for dignity of life, concern for the whole person, ethics, stewardship for God-given resources. We find that Christians have this really powerful tool in their tool bag, prayer. You know, that, that, that one thing can separate uh, Christian health professionals. At the session th this morning, I asked people to think about what are some additional distinctives of Christians working in health, health professions or well, as, a, as a Christian professional identity. And among the comments that came back were uh, that Christians will interact differently with power and authority because they know that their, that their power, their authority ultimately comes from heaven. So that means they will interact differently with authority on earth. Uh, also, they have a different worldview that helps people understand death and dying, different than somebody who is a secular worker. There's a Christian view of poverty. If you heard Brian Fickert's talk last night, by the way, I, I hope you, it, how many of you were here for Brian Fickert's talk last night? Uh, did you get his little commercial about where he did his sabbatical that led to a lot of that work? Was it Uganda Christian University? So it's a pretty cool place, by the way. Uh, so uh, the Christian view of poverty and understanding how we have to work on reconciling our relationships with each other, with the nature, with God. And then finally, the opportunity to reintroduce faith 
uh, to people who may have lost faith or may not have faith. These are major additions that come with a Christian professional identity. You've heard I've just listed off a whole bunch of others. Do any of you think of, of yourself as a Christian professional in some unique way, something that's distinctive? Any ideas? Please. Okay. They're, they're, they're worse or better? <laughs> there is a brotherhood, sisterhood, a, a linked togetherness that comes in the body of Christ that helps us overcome some of those, some of those challenges. You know, I, um, I made the comment this morning, and I'll make it again now. You think that I, that I uh, make these things up fresh for these presentations. The next time that I, that I do this, this slide will be expanded to include these kinds of things. I already have the other list from this morning. Any other distinctives? What does it mean to be a Christian health professional? Sir? Uh, as, as impressive as those standards are, I, I, w- I have a question as to whether Christian witness should be included. Mm-hmm. In what way? Can you expand on that a little bit? Well, sharing one's faith. Mm-hmm. Um, Beyond what, beyond the character issues and the standards for which we as Christians should be known. Mm-hmm. Great, wonderful. Any other thoughts, please? I just know as a nurse, I see pain and suffering as having. I mean, it's terrible for the time, but if you can get the person thinking about how it's doing good, it'll change. It'll, you'll get past this, and there's some good to become of it. It's wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Having worked in um, Mission Hospital, um, we would have the nurses meet, prepare, and singing in the morning, and just the sound of the nurses singing in the morning changed the entire atmosphere of the hospital and the patients. Don't you wish that Americans could figure that out? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Anything else? You mentioned in your presentation this morning about, I think it was you, that, that um, Christ is profoundly countercultural, and Christians are paradoxically culturally sensitive and countercultural at the same time. Mm-hmm. How do we do that? I'm not sure, but... Mm. I think that's a characteristic of a Christ-led ministry. It's culturally sensitive and countercultural at the same time. That's a wonderful addition. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In terms of training of the medical profession, I think those who are doing the training often view it as a discipleship opportunity mm-hmm. that encompasses more than just the discipline. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always amazed when I meet with people, as we did at UCU from time to time, how the, the nurses, for example, that we would meet with were so strong in, in the faith that they had 
uh, and they were encouraging each other and promoting each other's discipleship uh, through the, the time that we had together. Yeah. I think these are these are great additions, and you see, and what we're tapping into here is this diverse set of expertise here about what's happening around the world. That all shapes what happens in Christian higher education. Mike, yeah, last comment from Mike, and then I'm moving. Wonderful. Well, you've really tapped into some, some depth of experience here. And you see, this is, this is why working in a Christian university context is so powerful. You have a chance to, to form these ideas and these values at a very uh, early stage in a, in a professional's, uh, professional's life. So now let me unpack for you a little bit of what we did at UCU, just to give you a taste of what that, what that looked like. And it could be that the experience in the room could go far, far beyond uh, some of this. Uh, but I'll give you a quick, uh, quick rundown. This is a, um, uh, a nursing program. In 2005, when we got the thing off the ground, there were two nursing science programs, uh, one of which was brought into existence in part thanks to Grace Tazilar's good work in, in Uganda. Uh, and, uh, and there were five people with masters of nursing science Degrees for a country with 30 million people, uh, so five people, not programs, people. We partnered with Bethel University. They helped develop the curriculum and the instructional methods, and they brought this stream of, of health nursing educators from Bethel and beyond. And I'm looking right now at Ruby coming from Belmont. We had people coming from, uh, from all over with Fulbright scholarships. We obtained grants uh, for nursing equipment, uh, Fulbrights for visiting professorships like Ruby, uh, we learned cross-cultural approaches. I put that in, in quotes. We, we think we know what that means. We learned cross-cultural approaches. Uh, that is in and of itself a dissertation. How do you teach cross-culturally something like nursing? How do you actually do that? So when I say we learned it, we, we got some experience. Uh, I don't know if we learned it, but it seems to be working pretty well. Uh, we launched, finally, a master's program to train people to teach in the bachelor's program. And I heard just yesterday that two of the people teaching in that master's program are now working on a Ph.D. So now it will become an internally sustainable 
program where we don't have to rely on people coming to teach from outside. But if you see there, there's a, a connection between what happens on the ground in Uganda and all of the expertise that comes from uh, around the world. We have uh, wonderful experience with professional nursing around the world that we can tap into to help develop these programs in Uganda. And it's necessary, you know, if you're teaching at the bachelor's level, you've got to have a master's person teaching. If you're teaching at the master's level, you've got to have a person with a doctorate teaching. So that is kind of the way things work around the, around the world. So building that up and getting that off, off the ground takes partnerships. And in Christian programs, Christian nursing is a very helpful part. The, uh, uh, the, the uh, uh, American-looking lady uh, there is Karen Drake from Bethel University. Uh, and you see her uh, in two cases. <clears throat> um, really helping, really uh, focused on patient care. And then uh, on the bottom picture, that is Jamima Mutabasi, who was one of the five master's level people in Uganda that, uh, that, that we found, who we hastily rec uh, recruited into the program. Karen, and then Doug Fountain, who knew nothing about nursing when he worked there. And coming to learn what was involved in the curriculum uh, was shocking, and so that was a lot of fun as they were unpacking what would be involved in that. How many of you in this room are involved in nursing education right now? Yeah, uh, scary to me. Okay, um, a quote from Karen. I, I asked her for a quote. I said, what would you want everybody to know? And she said, the best way to help nurses cross-culturally with nursing education is to give them as much knowledge about what is current in nursing, theory, research, and practice, and then challenge them to see if any of the ideas can be adapted to their very different setting. Give them what is current, the theory, the research, and the practice. Challenge them to see if any of the ideas can be adapted to their very different setting. They are the leaders, and they know best what is going to work. Sometimes what they learn or experience is just what they need to come up with their own creative ways of doing things. Education empowers nurses. So when I say we learned how to do this, uh, we, we were gaining some, some good insights. Here's another program, and, and to uh, um, uh, mentioning Dr. Jean Chamberlain, there, we established a program called Save the Mothers. It actually led to a master's in public health leadership specifically focused on maternal mortality reduction. And we had a Canadian uh, partnership with the Canadian OBGYN, Dr. Jean Chamberlain, uh, who took a systems view to this. Her focus uh, was not to train health professionals so much as to bring in the, uh, the educators, the teachers, uh, I guess they're the same, uh, clergy, health workers, policymakers, and help them understand the complex solutions that are required. She helped raise some student research grants and created what they call now the, the Mother Friendly Hospital Initiative, where they will will uh, help upgrade a hospital to have certain basic minimum requirements to promote maternal, uh, uh, maternal health and maternal mortality reduction. And the picture there is a picture of a small drama, a small skit that was going on uh, involving youth demonstrating, uh, pleading to people in the skit to improve maternal, uh, maternal mortality rates. Uh, very exciting program. They would bring in people from outside of Uganda to help co-teach alongside people that were in Uganda who were experts in, uh, in this field. It was a partnership. 
Health administration, the International Christian Medical Institute from Victoria, B.C., saw a gap in administration skills among health professionals who rise to management. Now, that's a common thing, isn't it? Everywhere you go, in whatever setting. I started my career in child abuse and neglect, and and the the agencies that were involved in that were run by social workers. And and that's, that's a phenomenon. The professionals move up the ranks but they may not know anything about how to actually administer and govern their their facilities. So ICMI said, let's offer diplomas and bachelors in health administration to improve finance, personnel, and leadership. And they target the Christian health centers uh, that utilize short-term visiting educators and then local experienced administrators. Again, it's a partnership. They bring people from overseas to teach alongside health administrators in these programs, uh, which then gives local context combined with outside field experience. Very exciting. Uh, Another one that I was a little bit more directly involved with uh, is a core course. We we have, um, we had at UCU required courses that everybody had to to take. It's like the, the general education requirements here in the U.S., though kind of the Uganda equivalent of, of that. And we wrote a course on health and wholeness, semester-long course that covers all of the facets of health. And uh, so far, over 16,000 people have been through that course. And the goal is to help them become health leaders in their own context. Maybe they're going to be business uh, managers or teachers or social workers or clergy. They will be able to affect the people they work with or for. They will be able to influence their families or the communities where they live with current information, good information about health. That also was done in a collaborative partnership. We had involvement in the curriculum from people outside of, of Uganda who understood some of these, um, some, some modern techniques in terms of, of information education, but had a strong involvement, and now the course is completely taught by people uh, that are from the Uganda system. So, again, partnership after partnership after partnership. And we, we got to the point that these things were working pretty well uh, and really were, were, uh, were very strong. So what are we learning from them? Well, let me take a step back right now. Take a, take a step back. Recent research and foreign involvement in health professional training. I, I, I just looked at a few very recent articles. There's a, a long history of work done about foreign involvement in research. Um, Some uh, good stuff about foreign involvement in health professional training, but there's a few things that I found here. Uh, Some conclusions. One study that I looked at that was carried out in uh, in Ethiopia concluded that foreign workers are really good at developing practical experience and training in high-skill areas such as trauma and, emergency and sur- or trauma and emergency surgical care, supervision in the operating room. Uh, also, foreign uh, visitors could help with topical lecturers, and they were also helpful in supervising resident assessments. Okay. Uh, two, stimulate recruitment and retention and research. A foreign partnership, you know, wh- one of the nice things about U.S. And, and, and European universities and Australian is that they have a strong background in research and developing research portfolios. Well, they can bring those and, and mobilize the health professional development training in these, these local universities. 
They can also help maybe with some raising some scholarships. And, and by having these programs established, they're able to bring in more students and help them get all the way through their degree programs. So there are benefits like that that, that really are very powerful. Also, they can support great clinical research. Um, but it's very interesting to, to read some of the articles, like this one that I cited here. Outright questions how well we do at matching up the ethics of research from the U.S. Uh, uh, perspective and, the, uh, and, and a local uh, indigenous perspective. Perceptions about different things, uh, you know, some of the values about information, life, you know, the, just, you know, I won't get into the whole discussion. That would really sidetrack us. But there's no question that foreign involvement in research helps stimulate research. But there is a good question about uh, making sure that it lines up in terms, of, uh, in terms of ethics. A few success factors that we have derived from that whole experience. Okay, uh, one, there have to be champions at each institution. There has to be a top-level commitment. Okay, you know, the, the presidents of the universities have got to agree that this thing should exist. And then somebody below the presidents have to talk to each other. Okay, uh, Doug Fountain was there for a while. They have their, their person now who's doing it. That, that person would have to make sure that they're linking up with the foreign partners making sure these things really work. You have to limit the scope of these partnerships. It is a temptation. It's a temptation sometimes for the U.S., the European, or the Australian partners to come in with the idea that they're taking over, or maybe not even to think that they're taking over, but de facto take over the program. Suddenly, all the decisions are being deferred to the North American partner or the other partners. So you have to be very careful to limit the scope of the partnership and do things, again, in partnership. Fit in the strategic plan of both universities. And then always understand that developing country partners appreciate that opportunity, which is one of our favorite words from North America, uh, often equals risk in the developing country context. It's risk in terms of reputation, finance, Social factors, there's, there's risks inherent in having these kind of partnerships. It is, it, it is a status thing at times to have a partnership like this, but it can also create a challenge uh, when uh, something doesn't go right, the partnership fizzles. If they, if they don't make the partner happy, then the partner might uh, say bad things about the local institution, that type of thing. Uh, challenges, higher education certainly suffers from poor planning and resourcing. Uh, Cross-cultural challenges exist in how the curriculum, learning processes, and grading are all done. And there's always these potential threats of corruption, inefficiency, power differentials uh, that exist if you have a strong partner versus, uh, versus a, a less developed university context. I've painted for you now a picture of some of the things that we did there and some of the lessons that we got, including the influence from some of the, the research. The real question now is how do we come alongside? How do we partner with these institutions? And I'm going to just show you a couple of things, but I really want to stop in, in a moment and in our remaining 10 minutes get you to talk from some of your experience 
I'll just show you a couple of things. There's comprehensive integrated planning that can be done to strengthen these universities. And I'm not going to go through uh, all of these things. Uh, again, you can download this from the website. One thing that I do want to draw your attention to is this. Uh, if you have these kind of relationships, this is a resource I would like you to know about. Uh, and it's a website called developinghighered.org. And on that website, you will find a book called Planning and Resource Strategy for Universities in Developing Countries. That is a uh, personal publication that my wife and I did after coming back from our experience in Uganda. It's published by the Society for College and University Planning, and it unpacks all of these things that you see on the screen right now. How to think about strategic planning, how to do program planning, resource planning, and capital planning. I guarantee if you're doing a nursing program, if you're doing a medical school project, any type of training program, you have to think about all three of these things at some point. What are the facilities? You know, what are the human resources? How are we structuring the curriculum? How are we doing this? So, and then finally, there's a chapter on implementation that includes leadership, uh, implementation systems, and quality control. I just want to draw your attention to that. If you do these kind of projects, uh, it's for free out there. Uh, just go get it and, and take a look. Uh, you know, I'm going to skip over that. I'm going to skip over. Uh, here we go. Let me just say, education is certainly different in different places of the world. Different is not wrong. We learn a lot from each other by sharing. And education is changing also. We certainly find that, that uh, the way that we think of it right now probably will not be the way that it is 10 years from now. So it's rapidly changing. And uh, so implications. I just want to leave this here uh, and open it up for some discussion. You know, I, I'd like you to think about asking and thinking about how health mission fits in a larger context of total health system change. I would encourage you to pray and ask your developing country partners about how to shift from a do for to a support your mentality. How can you come alongside them to help them achieve their own goals? And at that point, I want to give the last nine, eight minutes of our time to your experiences. I've talked a lot about what we've done. So uh, how many of you have some experience? You are doing some kind of health education part project or partnership overseas? Okay. Uh, how many of you would like to share something about that? Wonderful. One, two, do we have any others? Okay, let's go ahead and hear the one, two, and then we'll see where that gets you. Please.
what piece of advice do you have for anybody who might be getting into these kind of relationships and partnerships? It's about people. It's about investing in people. It's not about institutions or uh, projects. It's about developing relationships with young physicians or, or healthcare people in training and being committed to them to help them to grow and to, uh, to see what, what they do. Uh, we... Um, there's all kinds of controversies. One was, okay, we're a Christian institution. What kind of students are we going to do? How many points extra do we give to uh, people that have an evangelical commitment before they come to our institution to try to recruit Christians? And our uh, experience is that the non-Christians did better. They uh, usually balked at the Christian environment, but then when they left and found out what they had, we had a high number of people convert to Christianity as a result, and they were actually much um, better. Uh, the people that promoted the fact that they were evangelical before they came frequently had more problems than the uh, leftist uh, non-Christians. Isn't that interesting how that, how that happens? What you're talking about there, we, we would deal with that from a planning perspective, the strategic plan will outline your, your, your core aims and, you know, your identity uh, statements will, will be from here. So are you admitting Christian students or non-Christian students? That all then percolates down to your academic support and your human resources when you go about the business of hiring staff. It even uh, affects whether you uh, take uh, funding from the local tobacco or the local alcohol uh, companies. All that sort of stuff plays in. So that's where thinking of it as a planning problem, you know, and, and getting and having the whole continuum of integrated strategic planning uh, will be will be helpful. But that's a great great experience. Thank you for for sharing that. Over here, where was the yes, sir?
university counterparts in a secular setting, Moy University, mm -hmm. um, the dean understood that need and embraced the collaboration. Mm -hmm. For about eight years, we've collaborated with Moy University to have that training. It's interesting because it's, it's a lesson learned in terms of lining up core values. Mm -hmm. So InfoMed started as the College of Family Medicine that wanted to disciple primary care physicians for you know, staffing church hospitals across Kenya and beyond and had values that lined up with that mission. Mm -hmm. Well, university, second university doesn't have the same set of core values around our distinctiveness as Christians. And eventually that became the reason that we're now separating. Mm -hmm. And so those three hospitals are now aligning with Cabaret University, which uh -huh. is a new, uh, newer, uh, newer than CUC, um, to uh, you know, begin uh, health training mm -hmm. at, uh, at a Christian university where we can embrace those values as core together mm -hmm. and see that. I see there's two distinctives that are important in the longest term. For us in, in training family physicians, it was to professionalize the generalist. Mm -hmm. So they had an aspiration of where they could go to their terminal degree to be effective in their work. Uh -huh. And that was just as important as all the things you're going to teach them. Mm -hmm. Because once they're professionalized to that level, then when they return to that smaller hospital with their two or one or two other colleagues to be the core family docs for a small little hospital, um, they can get to business about improving it to be the best it can be for the longest term. They don't have to go on to become something else to be fulfilled in their professional capacity. Um, and then the second is a uh, quote that I like uh, even more, uh, as I think about the Bruce Steffes has put on the PAC site. The, the one um, disparity that I didn't see mentioned is the internal disparity between cities and rural. Mm. Uh, in Kenya, 80% of those doctors, 2,000 of them, all are in the cities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, 20% left for the rest of the population, which is where 80% of the people live. Mm. Why? Well, because of all those rural areas you need here, they'll have to sacrifice in some way. Yeah. Schools aren't the best for your kids, you know, opportunities, mm -hmm. no, no place for private practice, and so on and so on. Right. Ultimately, the only reason you go to serve is just that, to serve rather than to be served. So how does that change take place? Only if you're catching from somebody else who's showing you what it means to be a servant. Right. And to me... I don't know if Africa's human resources and health is ever going to change until we get a servant attitude across the board. Mm. And that's tough because the families of every one of these students is looking for that very highly placed person down in the pecking order of social status and all the rest. But they want to have school fees paid for all those siblings and cousins. Yep. And how can you do that if you're not making enough money for them? So a lot of challenges on many levels, very complex. We don't solve it. I can say it's the working alongside our colleagues to know where the issues are that we can help plug in to be a part of I'm so glad you said that exact thing right, right there at the end. Thank God, literally, that's not for me to solve the problem of a Ugandan institution. It is the institution that belongs to the people in Uganda and their leadership to figure out what they want to, want to do. If they want help to help figure out something, Maybe we have a perspective that helps. Maybe we don't, and we should be humble about that. But that and that urban-rural uh, distinction, yeah, that's a that that is an entire uh, massive area because 
these schools, you, you can set them up in, in the cities, but it's harder to, to set them up in, in the rural areas in terms of training and getting a good uh, patient flow and sustaining uh, programs in, in rural areas. Anyway, that's all. And then clinical, anyway, I won't go into all of that. That's a great discussion. Our time is actually up, uh, but this is a great um, passion area for me. Uh, okay, maybe there's one question right here. Yes, please. Uh, just a quick question. So mm-hmm. for somebody that has an interest in doing this at some point in life, where is a good resource to go and find Christian universities abroad? Well, that is a really good question. Uh, and One of the nice things, uh, the Fulbright program uh, has a list of qualified uh, university partners that are Christian as well as non-Christian. They, 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 like UCU received Fulbright uh, people such as Ruby. And uh, so you can look at that list that they have and figure out where you might like to apply to go to. And many countries will have expressed priorities like we need people in nursing or we need people in medicine or whatever. And you might find something like that. Uh, right now, I think I mentioned, did I mention at the start that I'm just, we're getting a grant funded early next year to study and benchmark the Christian universities doing health uh, science programs. Because right now, there is no list that exists. There, there, there's barely a list of American universities doing, Christian universities doing that. Uh, so we've really got to benchmark this, and then we'll be able to circulate that and, and help you be able to match up better. Funding, uh, you know, Fulbright and, and grants and self-funding. Although I think, you know, we, we have to start looking at these universities also. They do collect tuition. They can pay for some things. We're five minutes over, uh, so I wonder, maybe we can talk about that, uh, what you've got. Just quickly, medicaleducationmissions.com is your place to link up with uh, coaches so that you can learn about all these things that you've been here years. That's perfect. That's a wonderful way. Yeah, I need to go by and see that. Yeah, I want to come to you. Okay. All right, everybody, thanks for coming. Really appreciate it.